Welcome to J-Rod Concerts, the podcast with Jamie Rodriguez. A trip of music discovery, Jamie is picking people he thinks you'll really like. Musicians, artists, producers, and everyone involved in the world of music. Here's your host, Jamie Rodriguez. Hello, everybody. This is Jamie Rodriguez, and welcome to J-Rod Concerts, the podcast, a special episode, Houses of Rock, ladies and gentlemen. So Houses of Rock is, for those of you that are new to the show, this is the second in a special web series called Houses of Rock, where really the purpose is we go to the music venues that have witnessed musical history in America. You know, these buildings that have been there for sometimes a century or more that have seen the rise of superstars, that have seen legendary last shows, that have seen Rock and Roll Hall of Famers at their best, at their worst, and in between, and we investigate them. You know, we talk to the owners, to the CEOs, to the general managers, and we get to the bottom of what makes these places so historic. It is an ovation to the walls, the roofs, the pipes that have seen musical history. And ladies and gentlemen, today's episode is the second one, uh, in the series, and it is the Tabernacle, the legendary venue in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. So last month, we flew over to Atlanta. We met with Brandon Berry, the general manager for the Atlanta market for Live Nation Clubs and Theaters. Thank you so much, Brandon, for your help. And we were able to get in there and just kind of dissect the history of the place from, you know, when it was founded as a church to its role in the Atlanta Olympics to how it saved Coldplay's career, you know, the beginnings of Adele's journey as she was rising up the ranks. So it is with great pleasure that we bring you uh, this, um, this great episode. We had a lot of fun filming it. I want to thank Daniel Pendleton, Charlie Tankersley, Sally Hackle, and Chris Osmond for their help in this. And uh, we hope you guys enjoy this. We had a lot of fun. Just, you know, giving a standing applause to these uh, historic venues. The Tabernacle, what a place. If you're ever in Atlanta, Georgia, once we get over this COVID thing, go check out a show there because what a majestic and wonderful place to catch music. Without further ado, guys, this is Houses of Rock, J-Rod Concerts, the podcast. Brandon Berry, General Manager for Atlanta for Clubs and Theaters for Live Nation. Welcome to Houses of Rock. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Jamie. It's a pleasure being here. <laughs> Absolutely. Iconic room, amazing, amazing musical performances have been here. You can actually feel the energy of, of the ghosts of rock and roll and pop legends that have been through here. Whether it's Adele or whoever, the list is way too long to go right now, but you can just feel them. Um, so yes, so thank you for letting us do this. Thank you for letting us come and, and do this. Well, thank you, thank you for coming. You know, and, and thank you for for being here and showcasing uh, this room. I'm, I'm really excited that I get the honor and privilege uh, not only to manage it but to to show it to you today. Absolutely, Brandon. So. Before we get, we get to the building, tell us a little bit about your background because you have a fascinating background, how you got mm -hmm. started here. Tell us a little bit about your background in, in, in music, in this business, and, and how you started. Sure, yeah, well, uh, how I started. When I was a kid, right, when I was in kindergarten, 
Um, my, my life goal, I grew up outside in a small town in Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. Um, I, I wanted to be a hot dog vendor at Fenway Park. Like that was like my life aspiration and goal and dream. And um, I like to think I came pretty close. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I mean, not bad, right? 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 <laughs> um, selling popcorn and, and uh, we, st we sell hot dogs here, so I like to think that I did. Um, uh, but I, I graduated from high school and went to Syracuse University. Uh, didn't really know what I was going to do there. Uh, thought about going into communications, uh, maybe be a late night talk show host. That didn't really work out in my favor. Uh, I did have a little bit of time in radio. One thing I would do is I would go out and see a lot of bands. I'd go out and see a lot of live music when I was a kid. One of them asked me uh, if, uh, if I'd like to work for them. And I said, well, you guys are going to pay me? And they said, well, no, we can't, we can't pay you. We're, we're a local band. We don't make any money. Yeah. Um, but we, we can get you into shows for free. Uh, and uh, you're under 21, uh, we can get you into the bars, uh, and, uh, and sometimes we can get free beer. And I went, that, sounds, that's a that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like a, <laughs> we, we can do this, yeah. So, uh, so I started working for them, and uh, uh, while I was working for them, I, I, I got a chance to start working with other uh, acts and, and other artists, and, and uh, um, that band eventually broke up. Uh, but all of the bands that would open for them were still looking for a way to get back into the market. So they would call me because they knew that I knew the bar owners uh, and I could actually bridge the gap between the artists and the bar owners and make deals. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but I basically ended up becoming a promoter. Yeah. Um, didn't really know what I was doing, uh, but I started taking classes uh, at Syracuse cool. uh, and ended up minoring in, um, they didn't call it music business then, they called it music industry. Okay. I ended up minoring in, in music industry at Syracuse. Uh, got a minor in African American studies as well. and. Uh, uh, was really able to, to just learn everything there was to know uh, about how to put on shows uh, because the market itself was so small. Uh, so one day I would be a stage manager, the next day maybe I was a runner, uh, maybe the day after that I was a, I was a stagehand, um, and I would work with uh, some great people who really just showed me and mentored me along the way. Um, and as uh, the acts got bigger, um, uh, the artists ended up getting more and more popular. A lot of them kind of took me along with them and I got to continue to, to work with them as they started getting bigger and, and grow my career too. I ended up doing a show with, uh, with a band, uh, with an artist named Maceo Parker, uh -huh. uh, who was James Brown's saxophone player. Epic. In fact, if you've seen the James Brown movie, uh, Craig, uh, um, uh, Craig from The Office. Uh, plays him, play, right? Plays yeah. him, yeah, in the mm -hmm. movie. Um, and, and he was uh, James Brown's sax player. Uh, he was the saxophone player for uh, George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. Perfect. He was the band member, he was the band leader. Uh, and uh, while I was with him, I got to go out on the road with him as, as his production manager oh. and, uh, and merchandise salesman. Uh, but he was, we would do shows with Prince and we would do shows with, with Ani DeFranco and stuff like that. I mean, that's, just, that's an education it was, right there. It was an amazing education. Yeah. To think of the history of the guys that I was traveling with, all these guys that had played with James Brown and, and George Clinton and all these dudes uh, teaching me on the road um, was amazing. Well, while I was on the road with them, I got to see a lot of great clubs. I got to see a lot of great theaters. Um, and a lot of those theaters are now Live Nation venues now. Sure. Uh, so I got to see it uh, from the artist's perspective uh, years ago uh, to where I am uh, now. And how I got here uh, specifically was uh, I, I applied back in 2005 uh, to start working for Clear Channel Entertainment nice. and got the job as the operations manager at the amphitheater in West Palm Beach. Yeah. It was the Sound Advice Amphitheater at the time. Um, and while working at the Sound Advice Amphitheater, 
uh, we took over the management of the Jackie Gleason Theatre in Miami Beach. And, uh, and we were also about to open up Bayfront Park Amphitheater and renovate that. Mm. Uh, so they, the, the company asked me if I'd be open to moving to Miami. Uh, so I moved to Miami, got to open the Fillmore, uh, Miami Beach, the Jackie Gleason Theater, yeah. uh, and work with the city of Miami Beach, uh, as well as work with the city of Miami on Bayfront Park Amphitheater. Uh, and did that uh, up until uh, 2015, when uh, uh, the company asked and they said, hey, what do, you, what do you think about moving to Atlanta? And uh, I have two children uh, who were not in kindergarten yet. Yeah. And I said, you know, if I'm going to move, now's a now's, now's a great a time. time to do it. Yeah. Um, so we, we moved up here uh, with with the kids. My wife and I moved up here here with the kids, and and I got to take over management of the Tabernacle from a great old friend of mine who's still with the company, and uh, and take over as the general manager here. In 2017, we took over the Buckhead Theater uh, in downtown Atlanta, which was the original Roxy. Uh, as well as uh, the new Roxy, uh, which we partnered with the Atlanta Braves yeah. uh, at their stadium. Mm -hmm. uh, and my role got to increase uh, as the market increased. Uh, and I ended up taking over as the uh, market general manager uh, for clubs and theaters here in Atlanta. Amazing. So it's, it's, it's amazing. It's been uh, an amazing opportunity. And uh, I've really enjoyed working for this company and for the people within this company. Just a, a a big group of extremely passionate people yeah. who care about the artist and fan experience uh, every day. And yeah. it's, a, it's an honor to be able to manage buildings uh, like this every day. And music fans are lucky to have someone like you behind the scenes, honestly, because you're the people that make the, the experience extra special and we just don't know about, people don't know about. So. We're, we're fans first, mm -hmm. you know, and we wouldn't be doing this uh, if we weren't. Right? If this if this didn't drive us, if this didn't excite us every day, then we shouldn't be managing buildings. And so when I'm managing a show, uh, I'm thinking about my perspective, how I would feel uh, as an audience member, or how I would feel as an artist coming through. And now as a parent, I also think about how do the kids feel? Nice. You know, and, and how do the parents of the kids feel? Mm. And it's about making all of them comfortable uh, every day. Um, and that's that's what we that's what we do. And, and we're very fortunate to be able to create, uh, help create amazing experiences uh, every night uh, with the artists that are performing on stage and the experiences that we can give before the show starts. Amazing, Brandon. Let's talk a little bit about the building. Um, the building was built a long time ago, uh, 1911, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and yeah. it was, uh, it was a, a church, Baptist. Yeah, it was the largest Baptist church in the, in, in the southeastern United States. 2,500 uh, people? Yeah, it actually had 4,000 congregants, 4, uh, but had just under 3,000 uh, that came to the tabernacle to worship. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful old building uh, with, a, with a lot of history and, and a lot of ghosts and a lot of spirit. And you can feel it when you're in here. Yeah. Uh, you can feel it whether you're in the audience or whether you're on the stage. You can feel that intimacy and you can feel how people felt coming to worship here. It's amazing, it's amazing. Like we're talking off camera, you can, when you're standing on stage, you can see each and every one of the seats in here, mm -hmm. like with proximity and intimacy that you just cannot find anywhere else. Yeah, it's I mean, unbelievable. most venues, you know, in a lot of the venues that I've, I've worked mm -hmm. in and managed, you know, you typically only see the first couple rows, right? right? Um, and one thing, and you know, one of the reasons why I think artists and the audience 
loves the tabernacle as much as they do is when you're standing on that stage, yeah. you're standing where the pulpit was uh, for the minister, right? So not only does the audience need to be able to see the minister, but the minister needs to be able to see the audience. Yeah. And when you're on this stage or, or when you're in the audience, there's a connection that you can't make in most buildings. I told you earlier, we saw an artist walk off of the stage last year, a comedian, yeah. walk off the stage um, with tears in his eyes. And, uh, and I asked him when he came off his work, what's wrong? He said, I've, I've never felt this before. I've never felt this intimacy before. Um, and, and that's the kind of stuff that really magic. keeps us doing what we do. Oh every yeah, day, absolutely, you, know? you can feel it. Yeah. What elements structurally from the building, from R.H. Barrett's original architecture, mm -hmm. stand still today? A lot of it. A lot of them, uh, right? Yeah, the, the balconies, uh, the, the main floor hasn't really changed uh, that much, in, except for the fact that the pews aren't here anymore. Yeah. But a, a lot of this is, has been the same. The facade of the building, there was actually a point where the, the lobby itself was, was outside. Yeah. Um, and that's changed a little bit. Um, but, but structurally, a lot of the building has, has remained uh, very much the same, with the exception of uh, we talked earlier about a, a tornado that came through downtown Atlanta yeah. uh, back in the early 2000s. And uh, that tornado not only destroyed the roof here, but also... 2008, right? Yeah, 2007. 2007. Um, but it also, uh, it also blew out every window in the building. So the management here at the time, it was before I was here, mm -hmm. uh, did an amazing job of taking an opportunity to retrofit the building yeah. uh, and making it uh, a place where arena-sized artists can come in here and put on a show for 2,500 people. Um, so they, it, you know, they really were able to use that opportunity to make the building, to upgrade the building, and give it a lot of the creature comforts, um, but still make it feel like an intimate old church. Sure, sure. So speaking of that tornado, um, they changed the roof, right? Because there were, I believe reading that there were like holes like with water oh, yeah. coming yeah, in. Yeah, you could see daylight. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Okay, well, it worked out for the best, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and you can see we've got a, a grid up there now and and, uh, and and real rigging points and yeah. all of those things, but it doesn't overshadow uh, the beauty and the intimacy uh, of the venue itself. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're, we're fortunate that uh, uh, that we are where we are now with Definitely. the building. So going back to the Baptist Church, it stayed like that for a long time until basically you know the mid '90s, uh, yep. when when it became House of Blues in time for the Olympics, for the yep. Atlanta Olympics. Um, brief run as House of Blues, but some amazing shows. I think the first act were the Blues Brothers that played that played that venue. Um, why was the the run as House of Blues so brief? Only a couple of years. Uh, actually, it was only a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. The venue opened in, in 1996. Uh, as a House of Blues, the House of Blues Atlanta, yeah. uh, just in time for the Olympics, sure. uh, you know, and, and to be a flagship venue uh, for House of Blues. Uh, and unfortunately, um, there was a, a bomb that went off uh, less than a half mile from here, sure. uh, just a few hundred yards away. In fact, our, our police officer, uh, Bud, his name's, we call him Bud Light, um, Officer Light, uh, was actually working, was one of the first responders uh, at, at Centennial Park uh, when that bomb went off. Um, and that, that when, when that happened in Centennial Park, um, it, it really killed a lot of the business downtown. Of course. Um, and so uh, House Blues ended up uh, um, leaving the building um, and it sat dormant for about two years. Uh, but we had a, a great promoter in town named Alex Cooley. Yeah. Uh, and Alex uh, and his partner, Peter Conlon, uh, in 1998, 
uh, thought that they could they could make a run of it here. They yeah. can make a go of it. Uh, so they reopened the building uh, in 1998, 1998 uh, with yeah. Dave Matthews. Uh, as the tabernacle, mm. uh, and uh, and it's been the tabernacle now uh, for 22 years. So it's uh, um, it, it really when 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 Peter and Alex took it over, uh, you know they started uh, booking all the talent here and uh, and really making it their own. Their company was bought out yeah. uh, by Live Nation, uh, who ironically enough had also bought out House of Blues. Mm -hmm. uh, so now uh, both the the best elements of the House of Blues and the and best, best elements, elements yeah. of Tabernacle uh, are kind of combined here, yeah. and and are really just a perfect storm sure. uh, for the building. Uh, so uh, we've uh, we've been fortunate enough to to be producing shows here uh, ever since. Amazing, and the shows are top notch. Like you just yeah. mentioned, Dave Matthews. Yeah. Uh, Adele played here, um, Tom Petty played here. One of my favorite stories is from Coldplay. Um, Coldplay, when they were blowing up in the early 2000s, they were actually having, struggling a little bit with their vibe as a band, and um, Yellow was breaking up. It was blowing up in the radio, and they had just played Washington DC, and they had snuck them in between a couple, like in the middle of the day, between mm -hmm. Limp Bizkit and I don't know who else, and they were having doubts. And they, they're on record as saying that the Tabernacle they came to the Tabernacle in Atlanta, in that moment in their career, pivotal moment, and they played to this venue, they played Yellow, they played that album, and it lifted them to such heights artistically that they decided to keep going and the rest is history. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And it's it's amazing to hear those stories every day and, um, you know, the folks that have, that have been in the building for a long time, uh, you know, a lot, of those, a lot of those folks will tell us, you know, the stories of, of when they remember when so-and-so came through the first time and, and there are so many artists, uh, there's actually a couple of hip-hop artists that have written songs about the Tabernacle <laughs> and how they think they'll make it when they play the Tabernacle. Nice. Uh, so we're, we're, we're honored uh, that uh, not only do so many artists feel that way, but so many diverse artists yes. feel that way. Comedians. Right? Comedians, hip-hop artists, rock and roll, country performers, singer-songwriters, you know, they all have this affinity uh, the same way the audience has the affinity for the building. Sure. Um, and it's it's uh, it's really great to be part of something special yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's a, it's a once in a lifetime venue and, and and for the artist and for the audience, it's a it's a bucket list. Sure. It's a bucket list sure. venue. Absolutely, Brandon. Okay, you've seen so many shows. I think you were saying that last year you saw like 400 shows. I don't know, some crazy number. What are the shows that stick out to you in the Tabernacle that you've been working you're working, you're doing your thing, mm -hmm. but you've had to like stop what you're doing and kind of like take in the magic that's happening on stage. Chris Stapleton. Chris Stapleton. Chris Stapleton here really wow. um, was uh, was was unbelievable. Our talent buyer got the show right after he had bought it right before the Grammys came, mm. right before he performed on stage uh, with, with Justin Timberlake. Yeah, and, and all of a sudden the show just sold out immediately. Sure, uh, and. Watching him perform, uh, that was right before he really just blew up. Right. Uh, was an amazing time. And you could tell everyone in the audience knew it. He knew it. We knew it. You know, amazing. everybody knew it that, that, that Stapleton was going to become who he was. Uh, that was. That was an amazing experience here. Um, Lizzo. Lizzo. Lizzo on the stage. Lizzo was phenomenal. Was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. The audience that night, again, like it was such a night of empowerment. 
yeah. right? And and being who you were and, and being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, um, Liz was my it was, it was really just a, a, an amazing, <laughs> yeah. amazing experience yeah. here. Yeah, um, Dave Chappelle? Black. Oh, yeah, yeah. Black did uh, four nights here. Sure, you know? sure. That was, that was amazing too. Like there were so many great so many. moments, you know, where you go, wow, I'm, I'm really, a yeah. part of something special. Yeah. Dave Chappelle filmed the Netflix Chappelle. special, right? Sticks and Stones yeah. here? Yep, uh, uh, filmed uh, filmed the Netflix special, yeah. uh, won awards, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we were lucky enough to be a part of that and, and be the venue that, that he wanted to do uh, the special in. Uh, same thing with the Jonas Brothers. The Jonas Brothers last year uh, did their reunion show here um, and, and that was also filmed uh, yeah. for Netflix. Uh, so a lot of those things uh, we're, we're lucky enough to be a part of. Amazing. And, uh, and, and it's really um, exciting. That's we... epic. Wow, Brandon, you've been so generous with your time. Let me finish up with this. Um, obviously, this year has been challenging for the music uh, industry, uh, for everybody, but Live Nation did something really cool called Crew Nation. Uh, I, I think that's a super nice initiative. We, we talked to Jake Berry, YouTube stage manager, about it, but why don't you tell us about uh, Crew Nation, how maybe the people watching this can help, and, and, yeah. who, and who it's helping. Absolutely. There's a lot of people that, uh, that do what we do every day. Yeah. And uh, a lot of those people aren't working right now. They're, uh, they're at home. And uh, the company uh, started a fund uh, called Crew Nation. Uh, to help all those gig workers, right? Those stagehands, those stage managers, those sound engineers, those lighting guys, uh, those those crew people that travel around the country, um, uh, you know, 365 days a year. Or so, yeah, they stopped working, you know, at the end of March. Um, and so Live Nation put together uh, a fund uh, called Crew Nation. Mm. Started a nice nest egg. Uh, I think the initial contribution. Uh, from uh, from the company was $10 million. Uh, and from that, other artists started jumping in. Uh, the fund is now over $15 million. And they are helping uh, crew members worldwide, uh, helping uh, make sure that they can get some extra money yeah. uh, during this time. You can you can definitely support. Uh, there's merchandise to buy. Uh, there, and, and all of the proceeds go to helping those people that make the magic happen behind the scenes every day. Amazing. And, uh, and, and it's thrilling uh, to work for a company that is doing stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And, uh, and is helping and That's all it can help, people. yeah. I mean, you, yeah. You, you, fans watching this may think, oh, well, if I buy a, a $30 t-shirt, am I really helping? Yes, you are. Yeah. Absolutely, you are. you're helping you are. a family, so we encourage people to do that. Uh, yeah, Brandon, I mean, I, I think you've been more than generous with your time. I just want to encourage people that, look, uh, Atlanta, major market, you know, we all talk about venues in New York, in LA, in Miami. This place, you have to come see a show. And I just want to tell people that enough. Stop by Atlanta, come, Tabernacle, be a part of this experience because it is just worth the trip alone. Catch a show here, grab a beer. If you see Brandon, come say hi to Brandon, yeah, the staff. Say, say experience, experience the whole thing because it is something magical for rock and roll fans. It and, is, and, and, and for us, mm -hmm. and for us, like we wouldn't be doing this every day, like I said if we didn't love it. Yeah. And uh, and we're fortunate that we get to do it. Perfect. So thank you for coming. Of course. Thanks for making the trip. Yeah. And, uh, and, so and no matter where you are, go see live music. Yes. As much as you can. Exactly. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. So thank you guys for joining Houses of Rock. This has been an episode for the books. 
in a wonderful, wonderful venue, Tabernacle in Atlanta. We encourage you guys to um, support Crew Nation. That's how you guys can help a lot of the music industry folks. Whether you buy a hoodie, a t-shirt, a poster, whatever you can afford, it makes a difference, guys. The website is crewnation.com. And about the Tabernacle, you can check out the website. They have 360 virtual tours. You can see the calendar of events. Really cool stuff at tabernacleatl.com. You've been listening to J-Rod Concerts, the podcast with Jamie Rodriguez.